All praises to our King, the Most High, Ahaya Asha Ahaya. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And we say Shabbat Shalom to the Hebrew Mishpukah, scattered to the four corners. And we also say Shabbat Shalom to all the other believing nations of our loving Elohim. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And as you know, if you have been listening to us, or if this is your first time, this is a podcast where we will study the Bible, the biblical covenant, and what it means for us today. So get your Bibles ready, your notebook, your computer, tablet, whatever you need, and let's begin our study. Now I would turn it over to my co-host. So what to study are we going to be exploring in this episode of the podcast? What we want to do is continue uh, our study in, in the covenant. However, we want to look at some of the effects that when Adam and Eve broke the covenant, what breaking the covenant did to their human nature. And so we want to look at that. And we want to look at it in light of what I've entitled the framework of fear, we find that the element of fear entered into their being. And we want to uh, look at to those particular issues. And just before we go into that, let's have a short word of prayer. Eternal Father, as we look to you at this time, we ask for the Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, to be able to guide us in this study to accomplish what you would have us to accomplish pray and ask that thou would bless the listening ears of all that they may be able to internalize and to be able to see the truth of the matter that the breaking of that covenant was not only a breaking of the relationship with you our creator and maker but it also did something to our nature so we would ask that as we go through this study that the holy spirit would guide us and as he guides us we may be able to see the covenant and how to get back to your covenant through the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. amen. Okay. Our first text that we want to look at is found in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, what we want to look at is a, is a few of the verses there in, in that book. And we want to start with verse number eight and as we start with verse number eight we want to move on down to verse number 10 and we want to see something about fear that took place in man's nature after partaking of that which was forbidden so here we read in verse eight it says and they heard the voice of Yehoah, Elohim, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yehoah, Elohim, amongst the trees of the garden. And Yehovah called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. Now, what we notice 
in this text is that after Adam partook of the forbidden, it appeared that a foreign emotional factor of fear took possession of his being. So often when we deal with an emotional state of a person, we do so from the standpoint of psychological and physiological factors, the way a person thinks and the way a person behaves. However, what we want to consider are the implications of fear as it relates to prophecy. We are looking at what we would call prophetical fear. And as we examine prophetical fear, we'll be observing how Fear forecasts our emotional state up until the Messiah returns. If Adam developed a fearful personality after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then wouldn't we draw the conclusion that what, we, what, that what he ate had something to do with his psychological and physiological state of being? What we are going to do is to examine the mental and emotional state of man after transgression. The first thing that is forecast by becoming fearful is that Adam and his wife hid themselves from their creator. So when we read in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So the first point that we want to deal with, we entitle it the factors of fear, the factors of fear. When we consider the fear factors, they are intricately associated. When Adam experienced being afraid, he was desirous of meeting he was not desirous of meeting his, his maker face to face, but rather to hide from him. Moreover, Adam tells us that he did, that he hid himself. He says because he was naked. However, what I want us to pay attention to is the questions Yahuwah Elohim asked him after declaring that he was afraid and naked and hid himself. He asked him two questions. Let us consider both of them. Now, the first question uh, that he asked, we found here in Genesis 3.11, and he said, who told thee that thou was naked? That was the first question. So apparently from Yah's standpoint, if Adam was naked, someone had, to inform him that he was so, considering the fact that outside of himself and the serpent, no other person was around but his spouse, Eve, and she certainly certainly didn't tell Adam that he was naked. However, before Adam could respond to Yah's first question, he immediately follows up with another question, which is the second question of which he hinted at, he asked have in verse 11, he said, hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? 
So apparently it appears that the questions he was asking Adam were rhetorical ones, not necessarily for an answer, but rather for him to reflect upon what he did and to be able to see why he was in that particular condition. So when Adam confessed that he was afraid and naked, and Yah said to him, who told you that you were naked? Elohim answers his own question by inquiry uh, or his own inquiry by saying, have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded of thee that thou shouldest not eat? In Elohim's assessment, if Adam saw himself being afraid and naked and hid himself, he must have eaten of the forbidden. So in actuality, it was Adam himself who informed himself of his fearful state of existence, lacking the glory of Elohim's light that he had been given. And as a result, he concealed himself from the presence of Elohim when he heard him coming in the evening. Consequently, we can see in both Adam's emotional and disposition that he had demeaned himself. When Adam fell to abide by Yah's covenant, he was walking in the way of the serpent. He was walking in shame. And so when he departed from the covenant by Eden of the forbidden, there were two things that we pointed out. Number one, he became naked. He lost the halo of light that enshrouded him, which was the glory of Elohim. Number two, not only did he become naked, but he hid himself. One of the consequences of breaking the covenant is that it makes us naked, and we do not want to face the one that we have made the covenant with. So as we look at those factors of fear, we want to consider another uh, concern about fear. And that's found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. It said, And they heard the voice of Yah Elohim walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahuwah Elohim amongst the trees of the garden. Now the second thing that we want to deal with is, we call it the formula of fear. The formula of fear. What we want to look at is what we call the fear formula. In this formula, there are some emotional factors involved whereby they are mingled together forming what I call the fear formula. Let us see what are some of the emotions in this formula. When we deal with fear, we are also concerning ourselves with guilt and anxiety. Let us look at some of the basic understanding of these emotional factors working together. Let us start with fear, then we'll go to guilt, and we'll conclude with anxiety. Now, fear is what we call, call uh, the, uh, the emotion that Adam had when he had eaten up the forbidden. That was one of the emotional factors he had was fear. So fear, the respective words for fear in both 
the Hebraic and the Greco language are Yare and Phobos. Yare and Phobos. These words carry the meanings of reverence and terror. So in other words, when one has fear, there may be a sense of reverence there, but it's different from the fear of terror. The fear of reverence is a type of fear that is mixed with love. But when we deal with fear of what Adam had, it had the, the fear of terror. It had a negative effect. And so when we look at fear in both Yari and Phobos, we are dealing with a terror, something that we are afraid of. And he said, because we were afraid. Where did that come from? When they sinned, that emotions developed within them. So they had a, a terror. They were not only afraid of Elohim, but they were afraid of the effects that would come upon them. And attached to fear is also guilt. Guilt has to do with feelings of remorse or responsibility, whether real or imagined. So when we deal with guilt, guilt is a type of emotion that uh, causes negative feelings within us. And these feelings that we have produces an emotional state that makes us uneasy. And oftentimes when you have guilt, it could be over something that is actually real in real time, or it could be something that one imagines. A lot of imaginary fears are dealt with by many individuals. It's not something that is real, it's something that they imagine. So when Adam and Eve had partaken of the forbidden, they had guilt of something, no doubt, that was real, as well as imagine. And imagination could probably come into the uh, sense of them thinking that because they sinned, that Elohim was going to do something to them that was harmful. That was their imagination. And not only do fear has guilt, but it also carries with it anxiety. Now, anxiety has something to do with distress or uneasiness of man caused by fear. In other words, when we have fear, sometimes we get stressful. And that stress is coming because we really don't know what to expect. And, and what we do expect uh, is negative. And so we have an uneasiness of man. And so as fear works with that anxiety, it produces in us some difficult uh, situations whereby our emotional makeup makes us very apprehensive. Now, fear, guilt, and anxiety are intricately related. Fear produces in us feelings of anticipation, apprehension, suspicion, adversity, or unfavorableness. Guilt is something that has to do with the past. So when we deal with guilt, it's something that generally we are looking back in the past of what we have done, whereas anxiety has to do with the future. So when we have anxiety, we are anticipating something that may happen in a wrongful way in the future. So fear 
holds us locked into the past and fear holds us locked into the future. So if you can't move backwards and you can't move forward, fear has been designed to keep us where we are. Where are we? They're hiding from Elohim. And as they were hiding from Elohim, this fearful formula of fear, guilt, and anxiety made them immobile to move towards their creator. Now, we want to go to our third point, our third point. Now, when we consider the fact that Adam and Eve's presence in the garden after Eden, they hid. And then in, in, in verse 10, it says, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And because I heard your voice in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Okay, so we looked at the factors of fear, the formula of fear. Now we want to look at the focus of fear. What is, what is the focus of fear? Where is fear actually leading an individual? So let's look at the focus, okay? Here's what focus is designed. Here's what the focus of fear is designed to do. As we pointed out in the formula for fear, that along with his guilt and anxiety, however, when we consider the formula of fear and what it includes, to some degree, we can understand why once, why the once holy couple hid, when they hid, their hiding brought into focus their fear. When they hid, it was their way of displaying their shame. It was a way of not displaying their shame when they hid. They were hiding because they were shameful and they didn't want their shame to appear. Shame is generally something we want to conceal. Why is it that we seek to conceal shame rather than display it? Within our nature, after our first set of parents transgressed, we have two natures. We have good nature and a bad nature. And with this dual nature comes a number of inadequacies. We have a tendency to hide that which is inadequate and to display that which is adequate. We conceal our anger and reveal our joy. We conceal our bad and reveal our good. We conceal our bloopers and reveal our success. We conceal our blunders and reveal our talents. We conceal our carelessness and we reveal our stableness. We conceal our darkness and we reveal our brightness. We conceal our downs and reveal our ups. We conceal our errors and reveal our truth. We conceal our faults and reveal our favors. We conceal our fears and reveal our faith. We conceal our shortcomings and reveal our skills. We conceal our sinfulness and reveal our righteousness. We conceal our ugliness and reveal our, uh, our attractiveness. We conceal our vices and we reveal our virtues. We conceal our weakness and we reveal our strength. We conceal our wrong 
and we reveal our light. The focus of fear is to hide our flaws, and in doing so, we also find ourselves hiding from Elohim. So it is human nature that everything that we do that is not right, we want to hide. But everything we do that is right, we want to reveal. We want to hide our dark side, but reveal our light side. And so this is one of the purposes or the focus of fear is to get us to hide everything that is a flaw and to reveal everything that is good. That is the focus of fear. And we find this is a quite common factor in many of the psychological traumas and, and spiritual things in our being is that we selectively want to hide what is not right and to reveal what is right. And so what we see here is two natures. The one nature coming from Elohim, which was good, and the bad nature, which is coming from the serpent, which is bad. And that's what we want to conceal, but the good nature is what we want to reveal. Now, with that in mind, let us let us turn into the book of Luke. And here we go to our fourth part in the book of Luke. And as we turn in the book of Luke, we want to go to chapter 21, Luke chapter 21. And here in Luke chapter 21, we want to consider verses 25 and 26. Luke 21, verses 25 and verse 26. Now here it reads. In verse 25, it says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts fell in them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now, our fourth, our fourth point is the forecasting of fear. The forecasting of fear. So when we look at what initiated with Adam and Eve, it has an effect upon all humanity. And when we see fear, fear is forecasting to us some things that are happening. Here Yeshua is making it known that prior to his second coming, men's hearts would be felling them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. So what we have is a prophecy concerning fear of which we refer to as the forecasting of fear. When we are talking about fear forecasting, we are being shown the emotional climate of this world as we anticipate the coming of our Messiah. When we consider the fact that fear entered into the human family when our first parents forfeited their Edenic home in the garden, 
but they were in violation of the covenant prohibited not to eat of the forbidden food. As we experience the last days, fears of all kind will be prevalent upon the earth because of the signs in the celestial bodies, the lights in the heaven, there will be fear as to what is taking place. Yeshua says there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. We look at this part of the forecast. It is bringing about what was told us in the beginning. So let us turn to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, we want to read verse number 14. And here it says in verse 14 of chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, And Elohim said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for years and days. So when we look at verse 14 of Genesis 1, it says that the celestial bodies were not only just to give light upon the earth and things of that sort, but it points out particularly is that it says, and let them be for signs, okay? Let them be for signs. So here we see what Yeshua was talking. He was saying that there would be signs in the heaven. And when they see the signs in heaven, they know there are certain events to take place. And he said men's hearts will be failing them for fear of looking at things coming upon the earth. And so when we look at this scripture in Genesis 1.14, Elohim has already, from the beginning of creation, said the celestial bodies would play a part in forecasting and prophesying the things that will be taking place. So here we see that Elohim uses the heavenly bodies of light as signs. According to the biblical use of signs, they were given to mark certain events which would take place. Signs were given as warnings or omens which would occur. These signs would cause fear to those who knew not, <clears throat> who knew not the truth. But to those who knew the truth, their faith would sustain them. So what we're seeing is the factors of fear, the formula of fear, the focus of fear, and the forecasting of fear. Fear would be with us until Messiah returns in glory. And what we see the devil is doing, he's causing people to hide their sins and to be able to not come to Elohim. And as a result of doing that, it is not only holding people back from salvation, but it is also preaching the gospel and forecasting and giving us a, a prophecy that when we see all of these fears in the world, these fears are letting us know that they are signs. Elohim said that they are signs. And when we see that fear, we know he's on his way, even though he has not come, but they are giving us signs. And for the people who are not in his covenant, their hearts are going to be failing them for fear. But for those of us who can understand the signs, it would not affect us in the same way. So when we see all of these fears around us, we know of a certainty that these fears are fulfilling what we call a Bible prophecy. 
So every time we see fear, we should understand that a prophecy is slowly unraveling itself and fulfilling itself in the world in which we're living in because Elohim said that this would be the emotional state of the world. It would be in fear. Now, let us go back to Genesis 3.10. Genesis 3.10. And we'll deal with our closing. This This will be our closing point. Here in Genesis 3.10, it says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, what we want to look at in this last point is what we call the flip side of fear. The flip side of fear. Up until Adam partook of the forbidden fruit, he had faith in Yah, his creator. However, in partaking of the forbidden food, his faith flipped over to fear. Faith and fear appear to be one coin with two sides. On one side of faith, there is trust in Yah's word and the walking in obedience to his commandments. In our faith, in Yah, there's some fear of Yah in the sense of giving him reverence and all. However, this reverence is not one that causes torment, nor such, nor such an all as to cause the believer to have pain. Our faith in El allows us to praise him while at the same time to dread such an awesome presence. When we break our trust with Yah by distrusting his word and walking contrary to his commandments, it creates within us a shame. Such shame is not only repulsive to Yah, but this repulsiveness is contrary to our human nature. It lessens our ability within ourselves to see our creator as a friend, but we view him as our enemy. Because we view him as such, our love wanes and our fears waxes. We now become an enemy to ourselves and an adversary to our creator. We don't have faith in an adversary. We are fearful of an adversary. And because we fear Yah, like Adam, we hide from him. So the question is, if we have turned our faith into fear, how do we flip it over on the other side to faith again? Since it was a tree that they (laughs) flipped from faith in Yah's word to fear in the serpent's word, which resulted in hiding, how can they flip back from fear in the serpent's word to Yah's word, which will result in faith coming out of hiding. So let us turn to First Peter. <laughs> let us turn to the fo- book of First Peter. And in, in, in uh, this book of the First Peter, we want to look at chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we want to look at Verses 24 and 25. 
That's First Peter 24 and 25. Now, here's what the Bible says. Verse 24 said, who his own self, talking about Yeshua the Messiah, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. Okay, so when we read in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, it talks about Yeshua dying, and with his stripes we are healed. Okay, so when he died on that tree, he gave us the healing power of what we need. And then verse 25 of 1 Peter 2.25 says, For ye were as sheep gone astray, but we but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Okay, so when we come back to the tree, which we call the cross, and we become there, we come with our sins. And when we come with our sins, then it says he died for us. And when he died for us, then he took our maladies, he took our sicknesses, he took our ills, he took all of the emotional state that had messed us up, he took that and gave us his health and healing. So when we go to the crucifixion, we say, you take our old life of sin, give us a new life of righteousness. And so what does that do? It gives us a mental transformation. As the Apostle Paul says, that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. And as we do that, that is our reasonable service. And then he also, Apostle Paul said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if the old man has fear in it, when we come to the cross, we give that man of fear to Yeshua, and Yeshua gives us his mind of faithfulness. So if Adam replaced Faith with fear at the cross, we get a chance to take the fear and exchange it for faith. Now, let us notice what it says in uh, Revelation chapter 21. In Revelation chapter 21, we'll look at verse number 8. Now, the Bible tells us in Revelation 21, 8, it says this. It says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abundable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers, the idolaters and all liars have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So when we look at all of this fear and all of this, okay, started with Adam and in the book of Revelation it says, but fearful, okay, if a person is fearful, Elohim saying they're going to have their part that burn into the lake of fire. Why is that? Because we have an opportunity to go to the cross and say, Elohim, I am fearful. And I'm looking at all of this stuff that is coming upon the world, and I don't know what to do. My heart is breaking. Elohim said, bring it to the cross. Bring it to me. And when you bring it to me, I'm going to take that man and that heart of fear, and I'm going to strengthen it with the heart of faith. And as you have faith, I'm going to give you the power over fear. And when you have the power over fear, then you can overcome. You can overcome it. So when we look at also the book of, uh, stay in the same book of Revelation. And we want this time to look at a few verses found in the, in, in the uh, 22nd chapter of the book of, book of Reve Revelation. 
And as we look at that, uh, what we want to be able to see is how Elohim is working with this fear. Okay. Because he said fear would ultimately be burned up. The person who has that would be burned up in, in the fire. Okay. So let's look at that. Let's look at Revelations 2, 22, that is, and verse 2. Notice what it says. Revelation 22, verse 2. Here it says, it said, in the midst of the, of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay. So now, what I want you to notice in that verse, it says here, that they were looking and observing the midst of the street of it, which is talking about in the, in, in, in the heavenly, uh, heavenly realm. It said, and on either side of it, in other words, it's talking about this river. It, it speaks of it as a street. And it had some large roots. They arched up over the river of life. It arched up over there on one side to the other, but it was, but when you look straight up, you could see the tree. And so he says, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. In other words, the tree of life was in the center. It didn't quite go into the waters, but the roots arched up over on both sides of the river, and they call that the tree of life. It says, which bear 12 manner of fruit, and it yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay. Now, we read verse 7. Verse 7, notice what verse 7 says. He said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Okay, and then we jump down to verse 14. It says, Blessed is Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. Now, what I want you to notice here is, is that in verse 2, it talks about the tree of life. And then in verse 7, it's one of the Beatitudes. You got seven Beatitudes, just like you do in the book of Matthew. And one of, and one of the, two of the seven of the Beatitudes is here. It says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the saints and the prophecies of this book. Okay? That's a blessing if you keep the saints and the prophecies of, of the book of Revelation. Then in verse 14 it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life. So the last time we heard about the tree of life, it was on earth in the Garden of Eden. So apparently the garden was taken back to heaven, and when he got back to heaven, Elohim is giving us a promise. Yes, you did sin, and you didn't get a chance to even see nor partake of the tree of, uh, uh, of life, but you took uh, a part of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But now I'm giving you the opportunity to take of the tree of life in heaven. I'm giving you that privilege. Okay, so if he give us that privilege, we have to keep the sayings of this book, and if we keep his commandments and all of that, we shall 
be able to be in, in that city and to be able to partake of the tree of life. Now, let us go to 1 John, because the same John that wrote the book of Revelation also wrote this. And that's 1 John, the fourth chapter, in verse 18. Notice what it says. 1 John, the 18th chapter, uh, not the 18th, 18th verse of, of the fourth chapter. 1 John 4.18. Okay. Now, what we are looking at is the flip side of fear. What is the flip side of, of, of fear? Here it is right here. It says in 1 John 4, verse 18. Chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. So once we become perfect in love, fear has to go. We're not worried about anybody taking our life. Why? Because we have a love for him, and with that love for him, it is so strong. That fear has, has no place. He said, because the fearful and the unbeliever will be burned up. So when he takes that fear by us coming to his crucifixion and giving us that new life, then what happens is we got so much love for him like he had for us. For the Bible says, for Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That belief in him produces perfect love, and that perfect love casts out fear. So we flip fear over to faith, and as a result of that faith, we have the faith of Yeshua the Messiah, and this is faith in him will be able to take us on to glory. Let us pray. Our loving Father, as we have seen the framework of faith, we ask, so Heavenly Father, that the fears that we have may be bathed in the blood of Yeshua, his life, that he may take the power of the Holy Spirit and take his life and put it into the owls, that we can have that perfect love to overcome these fears in our last days. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Well, that was a good sermon. I felt for today. Um, uh-huh. It's ironic because it kind of is going to kind of touch on and lead into our next segment. Uh-huh. Um, but before we go into that, who, how, who you stated that. Adam said that he hid he was because he was naked. And mm-hmm. Yahuwah asked him a rhetorical question. So mm-hmm. how did Adam know he was naked? Was it Satan that informed him he was naked once he ate of the fruit? Or did he just something in his mind that just clicked when he lost his glory that something was wrong? Well, now... If you turn in the Bible, what, what you'll notice is this. Okay, it's a good question. What you notice is this here. Okay. If you couldn't turn it to your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 2, and you look at verse number 19. Now, let's consider this. 
Mm-hmm. It said, and out of the ground, Jehovah Elohim formed man, man formed every beast of the field and every fowl of, of the air. And he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them and whatsoever Adam called every living creature that was the name thereof. In other words, what, you, what you're looking at is that a part of uh, Adam's man. Now, you remember Adam and Eve, they were never babies. Mm-hmm. When they came here, they were full-grown adults. They had full mans. And so Elohim said, Adam, I'm going to put you here, and I want you to name all the animals and the fowls and, 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 and things of the sort. So he had a man to name things. So a part of his man was Elohim's man. But when he ate of the part and partook of that which he shouldn't, then that was not in the mental process for him to have that. But when he partook of that, then he was partaking of something he shouldn't, and he broke the covenant. So when he broke the covenant, he still had intelligence. He still had intelligence. Just like he could name the birds and the animals. Mm-hmm. He now looked at himself. So he had the intelligence uh, enough to know that the covenant that Elohim had made with him in, 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 in the chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 of Genesis, he, he, he now understood that when he broke that covenant, what happened? Because when he looked in, he saw he didn't have that light of glory around him. He could, he could put it together himself. So this is why the rhetorical question was asking, not that he was informing Elohim. Elohim knew of that, what had happened. Mm-hmm. And so when Adam looked at himself, he said, uh, wait a minute. I don't have the original lighting that Elohim gave me. And I look shameful. And I certainly don't want to go in his presence. So, I had. so it was he himself that informed himself because he had an intelligent mind for that. Okay. Also, uh, the word Yari, how, how is that spelled? And also uh, Phobos. Okay. Uh, the word Yari is Y-A-R-E. Now, uh, in the, if you if you spell that out, you know, in the he, the Hebraic letters, uh-huh. it would be it would be it would have a uh, it would have a yod, a resh, and an aleph. Okay. A yod, a resh, and an aleph, which would be uh, a y, a r, and an a. It's Y-A-R-E because they have the vowel point. And then the word uh, Phobos from Greek is uh, P-H-O-B-O-S. And that's the word that we get phobia from. And phobia means fear. And we get it from the Greek word Phobos. Okay. All right. And with that, let us go into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So as we continue on, it's kind of ironic that you spoke on uh, fear from Adam and Eve and uh, when they lost the glory. And we hadn't even talked about what we were going to talk about on the Let's Talk About It topic. And Uh I came up with talking about this week what it means to fear Yahuwah. Mm-hmm. 
So when I read in a couple of verses, if you have your Bibles, if you want to open them, the first verse I want to read is Exodus 14.31. And it states, And Yasharel saw that great work which Yahuwah did upon the Mitzrayim. Egyptians, if you don't know who Mitzrayim refers to, it's the Egyptians. And the people feared Yahuwah and believed Yahuwah and his servant Moshe. Now also, I, I want to go on to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, verse 13. And it states, You shall fear Yahuwah Eloheka and serve him and shall swear by his name. Now, in the same book, we want to go to Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, verse 20. And here it states, You shall fear Yahuwah Elohoika, him shall you serve, and to him shall you cleave and swear by his name. Now, also I want you on to dealing with fear of Yahuwah to Joshua, the 24th chapter, verse 23. Now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange Elohai, which are among you, and incline your heart unto El Yahuwah Elohai Ayasharel. Okay, and... The last two, we want to go to Psalms 2.11. And it states, serve Yahuwah with fear and rejoice and tr with trembling. And the very last one, Proverbs, the first chapter, verse 1 through 7. The fear of Yahuwah is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, in some of these verses, in many of these verses, we find Moses, Joshua, David, and others in Scripture talking about fearing Yahuwah. And so, Dad, today I kind of want to discuss what does it mean to fear Yah? Because, you see, the common thing that... Uh, Israel should fear him. And what, what does that really mean to us? Does it mean that uh, we should be scared of what he's going to do to us? Or should we fear him the most over anything in this world? We see people that was fearing COVID. We saw people that were fearing terrorists from the 9-11 bombings and the various different terrorist attacks. We hear fear people of wars breaking out. Are we supposed to fear and be scared of those things or are we supposed to fear and trust the most high out of all and not worry about the rest of these things that's going on in this world? Well, uh, one, of, one of the things that we look at when we look at fear is the fact that there's a thin line between uh, what we call fear of Elohim and the fear of man. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's somewhat it's somewhat like that word jealousy. Mm -hmm. You know, human jealousy is a lot different from Elohim's jealousy. Mm -hmm. 
See, when you look at man jealousy, it's a lot different. Uh, it's it's kind of distorted. But when we talk about Elohim being jealous over his children, it is because he has their best interest at hand. So when we deal with the word fear, when it comes to Elohim, uh, it's a lot different from when we fear man. Uh-huh. In other words, there's a lot of torment. And when we fear somebody, uh, we look at the fact that they're going to uh, do something bad to us and we want to get away from them. Uh-huh. But when we deal with the uh, a fear of Elohim in one of the texts that you read, uh, it was pointing out how uh, we want to cleave to him. Mm-hmm. So how, how can you cleave to something and yet fear it at the same time? True, true. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's like me saying, you know, uh, uh, I fear my enemy, but yet, yet I'm, I'm going to cling to him. No, I'm going to get as far away from my enemy if I can. Yeah. But he doesn't mean me no good. But when we talk about fear and dealing with Elohim, what we are talking about is a respect. Mm. Uh, we are talking about an honor. And we are talking about one who is... Uh, able to create us, but at the same time to love us. Mm. Yes. Uh, are we going to fear him uh, because he's going to do something bad for him? No, 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 no. That's, that's not, that's not it. But mm. he, here's the point. We fear him because there's a, uh, there in this fear that we have, we are, uh, 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 in other words, there's a reverence in, in the type of fear that we have. In other words, this fear is something that causes us to reach out for him because he has our best interest at hand. But at the same time, he's not a common man mm-hmm. that we give him reverence. We worship him. See, we don't worship an enemy. We may fear him, but we certainly don't worship him. Yeah. But when we come to Elohim, we do have a fear that he is a person who have made us and he has given us laws that if we obey, we'll live and if we disobey, we'll die. But we have to understand that in that context, he is still saying, I love you. And as you reverence me, you are given to me the recognition that I'm due because I, I am your creator mm. and I have given you boundaries. Mm-hmm. That if you go beyond these boundaries, you're going to receive the curse. But if you stay within these boundaries, you are going to receive the blessings. And so when he gives us those boundaries, certainly uh, Elohim, who is that powerful to give us cursing and blessings, then he, he is to be feared, but not out of terror. Mm-hmm. It's out of love that he gave us this in order for us to have the life that he wants us to want us to have. So when we come to him and, and, and revel, reverential all, and we worship him, we're saying, Elohim, I love you just like you love me. And I can also see uh, in your love, you're trying to protect me from the curses of life by not entering into things that I shouldn't, because if I do, then that fear that I have for you can be turned around in such a way that I can fear you mm-hmm. and not to really have that love for you. I can look at you as an enemy if I go beyond those boundaries. So what we're looking at 
is that there's a reverential fear that gives us checks and bounds of what we should and should not do. But when we enter into worship and praise for him, then we are doing it not out of a, 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 a sense of what we might call that he's going to strike us down or anything like that, but that he has our best interests at hand and we worship and give him reverence because of the fact that what he has told us to do mm-hmm. is for our best good and it demonstrates his love to us. And, and, and that's some of the way I see it. So, so it's, it's more of a respectful thing. So mm-hmm. basically when Adam partook of the fruit, that in essence showed all outright disrespect for our king. By him taking yeah, the fruit and then saying, you know, I hid myself because I was naked. Uh-huh. You know. You know, see, what, what happened when he, when he took up the fruit and he ate it, then he had said in, by his behavior uh-huh. that he has, just like one of the texts that, that you, you, you read there, let me see if I can put my hand on it. I, I think it was, uh, let's go back. Let me see what, let's go back to Psalms. I think it was, let's go to Psalms 211. Okay. Uh, Psalms 211, one of the texts that we was reading as we're dealing with this. Let's see. Okay. It says, serve Yehoah with fear and rejoice with trembling. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in that text, it was pointing out uh, basically how that they are to fear him, but they are coming before him with rejoicing and trembling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now let us turn, I believe it's, uh, let's see, let's turn back to Joshua 24, 23, Joshua. Okay. Uh, okay. Let me see. Joshua 24 and verse 23. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, here, no, no, notice what it says here. It said, Now therefore put away, said he, the strange Elohims which are among you, and incline your heart unto Jehovah Elohim of Israel. Okay. So now repeat that question again so I can put this in perspective for you. I was saying that it was basically when Adam partook of the fruit he disrespected our king and when he disrespected our king he uh basically lost that connection with him when and he knew he was naked because he lost his glory because he lost that connection with him okay all right then all right here here, here it is right here then Mm -hmm. okay now when he lost his connection in other words he he and by his behavior, he was saying to Elohim, you know, uh, I'm going to do what the serpent says. Mm. So if I'm going to do what the serpent says, I have taken the serpent's word over Elohim's word. Wow. Okay. So when he took Elohim, uh, the serpent's word over Elohim's word, he said, Elohim, uh, I got somebody more powerful than you with me. Wow. That's what we're saying by his behavior. Uh-huh. Now, so when you look at Joshua uh, 20, 24, 23, what you're looking at is the same thing. 
Mm. Now notice, notice this. It said, now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods. Why is he telling them to put away the strange gods? He is telling them that because as long as you worship those strange gods, you are putting them before me. You are saying they're more powerful than I am. Mm. So, 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 so you put them away. Come back to your true Elohim because I'm the one to give you the strength and the power of the blessings. I'm the one that calls curses. But you need to put away those strange gods because those strange gods is taking the place of me. And it's not greater than me. But if you succumb to those type of gods, they're not stronger than me, but they're going to bring you down. Wow. And so just like Adam put something over him, uh-huh. they were doing the same thing in, a, in Joshua's day. So he is telling, telling them, you don't, you, you don't put anything before me. And, you, you know, it's That's funny when you when you look in the commandments, <laughs> no, you, you know, it's funny because you say that we're doing the exact same thing now. Mm-hmm. With everything that's going on and especially his chosen people, uh, you know, the lost Hebrews that's been strewn to the four corners. We are still doing the same things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but what were you saying about the commandment? Yeah, it's a. When you read the commandments, the mm-hmm. ten mitzvahs, mm-hmm. does not it say, have no other Elohim before me? Mm-hmm. We are one of the first ones. It's, 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 yeah, read right right the commandment. Uh-huh. Because he knew that was a point of contention where the whole thing got started. That Adam was putting other Elohims before him. And so he made that the first commandment. Wow. Mm. And that all started in the Garden of Eden with him taking a perf- the fruit. He basically mm-hmm. put yeah. the serpent mm-hmm. over him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to lie. And that's what caused her. If it was me, I would be, I, I mean, being human, I would be angry about that. I created you, mm-hmm. breathed life into you, and here mm-hmm. you take another's word over mine. I mean, I get an attitude if somebody asks me something, my opinion of something, uh, how to do something, and they don't take it, and they go with on something else. So I can only imagine what the mm-hmm. king <laughs> felt like. You know, mm-hmm. wow. That's something. That is something. Yeah. And, and with all that went on, he still reached out to them in love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it just shows how much of a loving Elohim he is, and how patient he is. Because, you know, he could have done things and upended this whole world a very long time ago, but he decided uh-huh. he's continually is giving us chances and chances, and even still to this day, he's giving us chances and chances. But, you know. I do feel things are wrapping up and time is running out where your chances may be limited. And we may, we don't even know. We may be even going through currently now the judgment period. We don't know if our, oh, yeah. our fates has already been stamped yet. It's possible. Yeah, we don't know that. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. You know. Because we, we are in a, we are living in a judgment hour. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know when our name has come up or if our name has already come up. True. True. But I just pray <laughs> if it came up or if it's about to come up that I'm right because there's nothing in this world to me that's even worth it than, you know, I'd I, I rather see the eternal kingdom than have anything in this world. 
Yeah, well, anything in the in the world to come is far greater than anything in this world, Mr. Wayne. In the parable that Yeshua gave about the talents, mm-hmm. he said, "If you're faithful over the least, you'll be faithful over much." So, in this world, the only thing we can have is that which is least—the few things. But he said, when we get to the other world, we'll be faithful over much. So we we won't get much in this world. We we we'll, we can only get the few in this world. True. But in the world to come, we get much. So what we're looking at is basically the value of this world is passing away. I don't care if I got a billion dollars in this world. It's not going to even compare to one iota of what I'm going to get in eternity. Yeah. You know, people can say, well, I got a yacht and I got a boat and I got five and six houses of real estate. Ain't none. All of that's going to perish here. Yeah. And ain't none of that's going to compare to the mansions and the things that we got in the, the eternal glories. And then on top of that, Elohim says, not only are you going to get the eternal riches and become heir to my estate, that he got not only, he, he has not only real estate, but he has celestial real estate all through the heavens. Yeah. And he said, you're going to be a, be a part of all of that. So when we look at that, and then he said, I'm going to top it off. <laughs> you got a whole eternity to enjoy it. Mm. Wow, so what insurance policy? what job or what enterprise can offer you eternal life? Yeah. I mean, isn't this what uh, medicine is doing? They trying to study all type of diseases to come up with a cure for all the diseases. And all they have to do is go to the cross and get the blood of Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And that will cure every disease that we got. And we'll be able to live eternally. Mm-hmm. They're going to sit there in their laboratories and try to study this stuff. And he had already told Adam that if you eat, you're going to die, but if you don't, you'll live. Yeah. And they're going to take up all of this research money, millions and billions of trillions of dollars, trying to search out what's going to happen with the coronavirus, what's going to happen with this and that virus, and what's going to happen with this sickness. And then they're going to put bodies on ice and say, when we discover the disease, we're going to unfreeze you and give you this vaccine or this medicine to help you live eternally. That's foolishness. <laughs> Elohim says, I'm the one to have life. I give it and I take it. So you can study in your laboratories and your top schools and your university. The only way that you're going to have eternal life is not through what your people and your scientists have discovered, but what I have given you. And that is my word. My word is eternal. Yeah. Yeah. So we would like to know, what it means to you to fear Yahuwah. We would love to hear your definition of fearing Yahuwah. Email us your definition at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com and we will read your next your response on our next recording. So, Pastor, can you take us home in prayer? Okay. I love and Father, again, we have been able to dialogue a little bit, of, oh, Father, about what it means to fear. And as we look at David, Solomon, and all of the patriarchs and days of old, oh, Heavenly Father, when they knelt down to pray to you and when they worshiped you, they gave your name praise. They lifted you up in honor and majesty because they realized how powerful you are. You are able to give life and you are able to take life. You are able to establish the heavens and the earth. And when we see all of that great power that you have, it, it gives us fear. It gives us an awe and it gives us appreciation for you that while we realize that it's such a great power far beyond what we could ever conceive, we just love you 
and we can feel the love coming back to us that you loved us so much that you gave us all of the boundaries that we would need in order to have a life of happiness. And we thank you for it. So when we give you fear and reverence and praise, it is with the love, O Heavenly Father, from our hearts. And we got that love from Yeshua on the cross that as he was crucified, he gave us this out of love and took our hearts of stones, O Heavenly Father. And he created that love within us that when we look to you, we have to give you all of the respect and all of the honor that you do because you are Elohim. You created us and you redeemed us. And we thank you for it. Continue to bless us. Continue to bless the Brock podcast. Continue to bless the narrator. Continue to bless those who tune in that they may be able to find that appreciation and to give you that reverence and that all that can maybe be able to help them to appreciate thee. And as Solomon says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Elohim. And as we fear you, you give us wisdom and knowledge far beyond our ages and far beyond that of man to know that it's you, the creator, who have given us these things and all of the blessings of life. And when we depart from those things, this is why we get to curse. So help us that we may experience through Yeshua the Messiah, his life through the power of your Holy Spirit, that when you do come, we can be heirs of eternal life. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And for your sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. You know, as I am currently reading through the Bible, I start to see how God, Yah, loves us. He has put things in place for us to have a successful life. When we read all throughout the Bible, we see many times and many expressions of love for us by our Elohim, or God, for those who aren't familiar. Because to be honest, he could have destroyed this world with us in it a long time ago. He could even destroy us tomorrow, and he would have the right to do so, because not many of us truly love him back like he does us. We want to be on the fence when we want to love him, but with our conditions, with conditions ha attached to it. Why? Because we love sinning. We love to commit sin or we just want to find. We just want to fit in and do what other everyone else is doing, even though it is wrong, because we want to fit in and not to be different from everyone else. We want to go running to Yah when things are bad, but once things settle, we return to our old ways. Our sinful ways is what brings us the most trouble. To be honest, if I was Yah, I would have destroyed this world a long time ago. And if you really think about it, I'm sure many of you would too. How many of you have kids? How do you react when your child does something you told them not to do and they continue? You get angry, right? And you do what? Punish them? Yeah, you punish them, right? Over and over again until they get the message. And if they don't, frustration grows. Then you either put them out of your house, try to get them help, whatever it takes to remedy the situation. Why? Because even though they disobey you, you still have love for them. Even though it pains you to have to punish them out of love. Same goes for Yahuwah. And us, he is, it pain, and for us, it pains you. Same goes for Yahuwah as us. He gives us chances after chances because he loves us. 
He helps us when we have sinned against him because he likes, because he like I want to see, because he wants to see them show how much love he has for us and how much he wants to spend eternity with him. But he's not going to force you to do what he says because he wants a pure and genuine love, just like we seek from our loved ones. But when we think about loving with him to the fullest, we say, mm, I can't do that because I have bills to pay. Even after he has helped you with your financial situation or if you caught an STD and he healed you from it and you go right to back to fornicating. I can only imagine that Yah is shaking his head saying, when will the stiff neck, hard headed people ever learn? You know, we forget a lot that he loved us so, so very much that he sent his sinless son who came and took on the abuse of this world and died for our sins. Uh -huh. This is how much he loves us. How many of you would offer up your loved one to show your love for people who despise and hate you? And you're trying to show them that no matter what, I still love you. Many of us will say, forget you. I'm done with you. But he hasn't yet. We have to be careful now, especially in these times, because I believe Yah is prepping for his return soon. If you take off the blinders and open your eyes, you can see the world will soon come to an end. And those who return to him showing Yah true, honest, genuine love can look forward to seeing his love for us for eternity. Eternity for those who on the for eternity. For those who are on the fence and who are just defiant, well, those are the ones who will get put out of house with no opportunity to return. We all need to ask ourselves this question. Do I love God? And if so, and I'm doing what he set forth in the Bible to prove my love for him. I am Boyce. This is the Science of the Covenant podcast. And until next week, Shalom.